Is it actually called a wav? Pun. I think it's I think it's actually called wave. But I was gonna because I've I've called it wave like my whole life. Yeah, I think they're called wave files, but I just like calling it a wav. It just I, for some reason I've also just called it a wav as well. I don't know. Yeah, I've never really <laughs> maybe it's it a regional thing. Thought, I I doubt it. <laughs> There's there's a possibility here, because there's a there's a train station near me that's called that is AVA, right? Okay. And I I got the train up to my mates the first time, and they're like, oh, "Did you get it fun?" I'm like, "Yeah, I just got on the the train at Ava," <laughs> and they just all looked at me <laughs> and got it's Ava. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, no, nah, I just Australianized it. And, and uh, Ava, have a go. Have a go, Matt. <laughs> Speaking of have a go, we are having a go at recording the Halcyon Frequency podcast, episode 52. That's so many. That's a year's worth of weekly podcasts, though. I think this pod has been a little bit longer around because we've had a few special episodes. But I am joined by Bloody Drongo. How are you? Hi there, I'm very well, thank you. And I'm also joined by the lovely War Jess. I think this is the first time I've hosted one with you, is that correct? No, we did the ADHD podcast, don't mind me. Yep, I, How think, are I, you? I think that's the only one, but this is the first time the three of us have been here. Yes, it is, it is. Drongo, kind of, you kind of slipped in and then you've been lumped with the same group, haven't you, Drongo? I feel like I probably shouldn't feed into that phrasing because it sounds extremely negative. But I think <laughs> Jess and I have been on probably the most podcasts together since I've joined. Whenever there's uh, yeah. trouble, why is it always yeah. you two? <laughs> it, just, it just works out that way. You know, it's not our fault. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, that's it. Right. Maintain yes. innocence. I just keep getting voluntold to show up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always like that. Uh, what was the other the other phrase? I like voluntary conscription. Um, you know, I've been voluntarily conscripted into doing this. So, yeah. Jeez, it's a um, it's been a long week for me. Same. I have seemingly been busy every single day, but just thinking back on the week that was. I can't remember any specific thing apart from my broken mug. <laughs> I, I feel like you really want to talk about this broken mug. That was kind of the, the vibe I got. Tell it us honestly, about your broken mug, mug Ash, please. It, it honestly wasn't, but I looked at my desk and I saw it and I got sad again. Oh, um, I, ordered a, I ordered a mug. Um, I'm, I'm experimenting with some merch stuff and I ordered a mug and it turned up broken. And oh, no. the box was slightly squished, and the 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 box had a distinct rattling noise. And it was just <laughs> one of those moments where the guy hands you the box. It rattles. He knows it's broken. You know it's broken. He just wants it out of his hands. You just know that you've got to start looking up the the refund or the replacement guarantee and all of that. And it's just this quick little, yeah, thanks, mate. 
you know. <laughs> and um, so the good news is it was only the handle that's broken, which means I still got to see the quality of it. And it's quite nice. But the bad news is, is I now have to go through the replacement process because I want this mug, damn it. But I'm just sad it. about it. Well, I mean, on the upside of this, right, that at least, you know, if you're experimenting with merch stuff, at least you're going to be familiar with the, you know, I mean, this stuff happens. So it's probably best that you know how this company yeah. works prior to bringing other people involved in it, right? That's it. That's it. I, I'm, I'm just more testing things or testing more things. I should say. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I personally tested, that. personally tested the, uh, the, the damaged item policy. Mm-hmm. I would, I would glue it, Jess, but it's currently in a, the handle is in about four or five pieces, and there's a layer of powder on the bottom, like. Mm, I see it. It broke and then it grinded a bit. So, yeah, unfortunately, it's it's uh, it's a lost cause. It might oh, might work well as like a paint mug or something, you know, like spot to put water in. Yeah. I've, I've only got I've only got three of those, so it could be handy. Yeah, I was say, I'm sh- <laughs> I, I I doubt that you're short of those, but still. Or yeah, maybe no, not I- so handy because it's missing the handle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice, nice. So, welcome to the podcast with just Drongo and I, because someone is in the pun bin. Um, <laughs> pun, pun bin. I meant pun jail or sin bin, and it came out as the pun bin. So, um, yeah, sorry about that. The pungent? The pungent. That's, that's, a, that's another one, yes. Pungent works, too. Pungatory? That's, that's just pushing it, I think. Oh, right, right, fine. Okay, that's where we draw the line very well. I don't believe in pungatory. Um, <laughs> and how are you, Drunga? How's your week been? Yeah, my week's been pretty good. I've been fairly busy kind of trying to learn Photoshop and increasing my skills there. I also finally got my new mouse, which has been long-awaited. And since uh, Halloween, if I recall. Yeah, yeah. Literally since (laughs) Halloween last year, I have had issues with my previous mouse because it it had an unfortunate incident where it uh, had a kinetic malfunction and the middle mouse button wasn't working on it intermittently. And then... Um more recently it developed some other more serious issues which i've now rectified with a new uh, mouse. by replacing it entirely so yeah I'm, I'm very pleased about that so my week's been good i'm very pleased what, with that what is a kinetic malfunction well i just want to i just want to point out here if you if you want to know what a kinetic malfunction is all you need to do is follow the twitch a and z page because I believe they actually uh tweeted out the very clip in which you did it didn't they um, yeah, correct. They did. <laughs> Drongo, Drongo oh, no. played a scary game, and one jump scare got him so hard he threw his mouse. And <laughs> <laughs> you know, like there's there, there's very varying elements of watching other streamers and like you know being like ah oh, such and such does it too well. I could never do this, but. I don't think I could react to jump scare games like you do. You have just that 
oh, just watching you watching you play that game and watching you throw that mouse was just a such a knee-jerk reaction, you know? And it was just so on the seat of your pants. It was you sacrificed a mouse, but you you delivered greatness there. Yeah, see, the, the, I would like to think that the immersion that I allow myself to get into when I'm playing games is definitely a a, a double-edged sword because <laughs> when I play horror games, I get really immersed, which means that when I get jump-scared or, you know, something kind of, like, creepy happens or something like that, I'm just like, yeah, I hate this. This is this is not fun. This is why I very rarely play horror games on stream because my goodness, it is it is stressful. And, I'm very and, much and the there same. are casualties. Yeah, I'm very much the same. I don't like playing scary games because I get scared. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you know, it's like some I, I remember uh Halloween was coming in and someone's like, You're gonna play a scary game? And I'm like, no, they're scary. Why would I? I <laughs> um I remember playing you remember the original Fear game? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah I that too. I couldn't sleep after playing that. I used to have to take breaks from playing fear every probably like 40 minutes to an hour yeah i'd have to actually stop playing and play something else just because i felt like emotionally exhausted that game you know, was full on do you know what game scared me but it wasn't designed to be scary sure halo halo really i had to stop playing halo the original one at a point because it was too creepy it was the level in which the flood is found and you're going yeah, down okay. through that labyrinth that is very maze-like and there's just mm -hmm. really creepy feelings and I was playing it on a drizzly overcast dark day that just had these insidious vibes and so playing this game while seeing that I was like nah this is this is too much I need to because I was just getting lost in the maze I was you know the 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 motion track is going nuts and all of that and it's just i actually had to take a break because it was it was making me a little bit too scared um like you know how long ago did halo come out though i, I just want to just want to clarify this this wasn't last week um just gonna quickly check here 2001 so we're talking 21 years ago so i was 15 you know, like, quick maths there, but I, w I was 15 or so, so I, I think it's okay to be a little little bit scared of that. I love that level. I It gave me big Aliens vibes, which is yes. one of my favorite movies ever. It's Which it's also scared fun. me and could have been related. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about horror games, Jess? Are you a, are you a fan? No. <laughs> I am not, I, but I've not played Halo, so I, I have no input on this spooky level. But no, ever since I was a kid, I just I don't like horror games. Do you like horror movies? Not really. No, yeah. I just I I think I just get too into them, and like I, uh, it's like I know the jump scare is coming, and I still just can't help it. I'm it just <laughs> I just don't like it. Some people, I guess, sort of like the thrill of it. I, I do not enjoy it. 
Yeah, it's, it's like people who, who jump out of planes, you know. They, they, they do it for the thrill. I don't think anyone sits there and does it because it's boring. Uh, yeah. I feel like it's, it's different, different things, but I, I, no, I really enjoy one to movies. One-to-one, one one, watching the first scream is the same as base jumping. <laughs> <laughs> the, the exact same. Exact yeah, okay. same. Right. I, 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 recall, I recall a mate who base jumped was like, this is just like that moment in the Scream movie where <laughs> the killer comes into the babysitter's house. Um, so, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, it is, it is that uh, the adrenaline rush and stuff. I, I, I can get that. Being scared does, I think it gives adrenaline. I don't know. I'm not a brain. It probably does. I mean, I, I really enjoy horror movies. I enjoy horror movies much more than I enjoy horror games. But I can at least agree with that, but... <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I like certain kinds of horror. I don't like jump scares, and I don't like a lot of gore. I like the ones that leave you sitting there going, Ugh, afterwards. I actually do really enjoy watching people play horror games. I don't like watching horror movies. I don't like playing horror games, but I like watching people play horror games. Yeah, me too, actually. I, I, I they're, they're always a good time, I think. Yeah, I, if, I think there's definitely, definitely stuff there. As long as it's not me who has to press the, like, who has to press W, um, it's, it's okay. Like, I really enjoyed <laughs> watching people play um, Welcome to the Game. I watched a bunch of YouTube videos on that and, like, Outlast. Um, oh, God, Outlast. The Amnesia games I've just watched. I've watched them. Yeah. Outlast is a stressful time. I actually finished that on stream uh, a while back, and that game is just, my God. I felt nauseous and anxious and stressed. and. <laughs> It was some of the best content I feel I've ever made, but at the same time, I was just so, so into it with hating every moment of it. It was, it was a whole thing. <laughs> I think that's partly why I've never really felt the, um, the desire to play a horror game on stream. It's like... Not only, not only do you have to push through this horror game, but you've also got to do it. You've got to maintain a presence and you've, you know, if like, if I'm playing a game and I'm uncomfortable playing it, if it is a horror game, I'm like, yep, no, I'm done. And I close it and I leave. Yeah. If a streamer does that, they're just gonna, it's just going to be like, wow, Arch quit because Five Nights at Freddy was too scary. Is Five Nights at Freddy's a horror game? I actually don't know anything about it. I thought it was a kid's I game. <laughs> no, I'm, my I'm point, pretty certain my that point it's stands. Okay. <laughs> I, my uh, point well, stands. See, I don't even know. I don't even know anything about it, dude. I'm I'm sorry. I'm completely ignorant to it. <laughs> I'll get scared at a kids game if I want to. Please, please do. That's fine. I mean, I've been yeah. jump scared in Minecraft multiple times, so I can't really talk. Yeah, no. Well, that's, that's fair. because there are zombies. Yeah, okay, I have, so... I have a thing against zombies. Most of us do. Like, I, I'm, I'm not going to coexist with them. But what we are going to do 
is take a quick break and we're going to come back and talk a little bit about gangs and some stuff behind them as well. How does that sound, everyone? She said games? Games. Oh, games. Okay. All right. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back and we'll, we'll talk about some games <sighs> after this quick break. Games. 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 Listen, this is bullying. <laughs> I'm just trying to practice some accents. I'm just trying to make sure that you're enunciating, Arch. Well, hi there. I'm FG, and you can find me over on twitch.tv slash FG squared Mondays through Fridays at 9 a.m. BST, which is 4 a.m. Eastern, 1 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Central European time. And we play loads of different games, indie games, AAA games, things you have heard of, things you haven't heard of. Uh, it is also not my birthday. This is not a cult, and elephants are pretty cool animals. If you want to know what the heck that means, come and find out. See you on Twitch. And we are back with the Halcyon Frequency podcast, episode 52, airing on the 15th. Yes, time goes forward for most people. Oh my gosh. What? Oh my gosh. Today's Friday the 13th. Well, for yep. you, yes. For me, it is Friday the 13th. It is. <laughs> Spooky. After we were just talking about horror games. Dude. Yeah, yeah. Com- it was complete, <laughs> completely unintended. But you know what? We're going to, I'm just going to go back and cheekily edit in a little bit, you know, because it's Friday the 13th. Let's talk about <laughs> this. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it was funny last night, my partner uh when i finished streaming came over and spoke to me and she was like why are you not dressed up and i'm like why would i be dressed up and she's like oh because it's friday 13th and i'm like i did not even notice the end (laughs) i only just noticed now while i was looking at the calendar my grandma was super super superstitious I realized I used too many supers. It should have been just superstitious because that's already got super <laughs> in it. But she was always afraid of Friday the 13th, black cats and all of that. And she actually passed away on Friday the 13th. So mum was always just like, ah, oh, it's so weird. <laughs> but yes, uh, speaking of weird, Drongo, um, Hi. what have you been playing <laughs> this week? <laughs> I've been playing a lot of uh, Escape from Tarkov, and that's been kind of my new obsession over the past week or so. And I've been loving it. It's been a, it's been a great time learning that that game. I've been watching you play it, and I'm really interested to hear this because I wanted to ask this as well. Why? It's a bit of a bit of a shift from your normal content. Why why Tarkov and 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 also why streaming it? Well, I mean I, I think a lot of the time as streamers people like to put kind of boxes around what sort of content we stream and a lot of those times yep. those boxes are ones that we've kind of constructed for ourselves because that kind of helps to 
you know, keep a particular audience's interest. And generally speaking, if you play a particular type of genre of game, then that's going to at least have some relevancy to your audience. But sometimes it's nice to be able to kind of break outside of that and explore a different game or a different genre of game that you would normally play and kind of just test the waters to see people's reactions to it yeah and see you know basically whether any skills you've built up in a pre-existing genre are able to translate to a different genre in this case going from typically sandboxy type games and city builders to going towards a first person shooter and i don't know like it's definitely not my most popular stream game but it's definitely not my least popular stream game so it's somewhere in between and people have been you know by and large very positive about the streams and and i guess the way i play it as well is a little bit different than most other people would Yep, you you and that uh, scav will definitely have memories about that spare tire. I'll know that for sure. <laughs> it's been a, it's honestly like playing the game with a focus on interactions with other players and the in-game voice interactions has been just one really really fun for me because it means that I'm not taking the game super seriously, which means that I'm then not you know as uh, sad or annoyed when I die. Uh, which is pretty inevitable in Escape, uh, Escape from Tarkov, but also it it creates some some really wonderful moments for content, which are really interesting and amusing for the viewers. So yeah, it kind of so, ticks both of those boxes. So it's also not only just like trying a new game; you're actually trying a lot of new things for your community and viewers as well, aren't you? Because I mean, I've I've watched you play. I've watched you play a game or two and it's, it's, it's really fun seeing you, you embrace that just the slight bit of silliness and, and immersion into the game. Like, you know, even going back to mortuary assistant, you acted a lot like you actually were that person. You had conversations with the bodies, conversations with the uh, antagonist. And so now you're in a game in which you can still embrace those, those sort of type of conversations, but I don't know, there's a chance someone might respond. <laughs> yeah, and I think ultimately for me as well, I just really enjoy like role playing and immersing myself in the in the world. And so but adding an element of silliness in that as well, and that's kind of like where going back, I've I've introduced playing games like Rust and things like that that have that in-game voice that allow for role playing interactions whilst also uh, you know, having, you know, an underlying gameplay and sense of progression as well on top of that, which is really fun. Right. And so here's, here's one last question I want to give you for this game. What has been the most memorable moment of playing that game so far? I think my most memorable moment so far has, was probably my last run last night. So. I spawned in as a scav, and for those of you who haven't watched me play Escape from Tarkov, I've been role-playing as an insurance salesman, 
<laughs> and I have been going around, and when I come across uh, other players, I'll ask them if they need any insurance. And so I found this player last night, another uh, player scav. And I was like, hey, man, do you want some, uh, you know, this is John J. Tarkov of Tarkov Insurance Agency. Do you need any insurance? Do you have a policy that's currently active? And he's like, uh, hey, man, um, I'm, I'm new to the game. This is like one of my first runs. I, I don't really know what that means. Oh, no. And... So I kind of took him to, to the side and I, I sold him an insurance policy, which basically involved him just gifting me some random items out of his backpack, which he did. And <laughs> then I gave him some celebratory pineapple juice and we drank that together. And then I took him, I, I found out what his extracts were. And then I took him on a tour around the map that we were on, Customs. And I, we both got to the extract together and I gave him a gift at the end, which was a nice little valuable item that I'd picked up along the way. And, you know, he was just like, man, thank you so much. This is like the most memorable Tarkov experience I've ever had, <laughs> which to be fair, he's not had many <laughs> Tarkov yeah, yeah. experiences. That's like the first day of the year being like, oh, this is the best lunch I've had all year. Exactly. But in my mind, like, I just hope that this one player is going to walk away from that and being able to go from, you know, go to their friends and being like, you know, I remember my, one of my first ever raids in Tarkov, I came across this random guy who was role-playing an insurance salesman and then took me under his wing to, you know, get me through the level and got me a whole bunch of decent loot and stuff like that and <laughs> showed me a whole bunch of caches and, you know, I just hope that that's like a, a going to be a, a fun and positive memory for that player because it just, you know, it, it makes me feel good. And honestly, as well, it was it was great content on my side, kind of helping this random guy through. And it was it was just great. It was it was just a nice experience. Yeah, no, for sure. That's that's really cool. And I, I love hearing that. And that's what I think that sort of sticks with us with games like it's real easy with things like RimWorld. When you're like, oh, my most memorable experience is when one of my prisoners broke loose and stole a uh, orbital targeter and then obliterated, you know, my warehouse. Well, your warehouse, really. I'm using your example here. Yeah, that feels <laughs> but, very pointed. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's I, I kind of like like seeing those and hearing about those in other moments as well because they happen. And there, there's moments when you sit there and go, wow, this game is this game is beautiful or this game actually impacted me. I really love hearing those stories about those games. Speaking of which, Jess. Oh gosh. You have been beard deep in uh, Dwarf Fortress still. And I know you've talked about this a lot because I, I behind the scenes, I do all the, or have been doing the editing and, and, and all of that for the videos and such. And also the audio, while Blind has been incredibly busy, which is really good. And so I know you've been talking about Dwarf Fortress quite a lot. What's a moment within Dwarf Fortress that you think will stick with you for a very long time? Well, I've got one. <laughs> I've got one. In my first-ish fort... Because now I'm on like Fort 2.5 now. If you don't count right. the tutorial. Wow. Okay, my, that's my pretty good. Fort, fort number one 
outside of the tutorial. Um, I had I had like this nice carved out area that led to the caverns and I built some drawbridges there because drawbridges when folded up act as walls and are impassable. Yep. And so on chat's recommendation, I built these. And we had a forgotten beast attack in the caverns. I brought my squads down to this carved out area that I had. They fought it. It went absolutely excellent. Like nobody got hurt. The worst thing that was wrong with everybody was that they were thirsty. And I'm over here like, okay, so I actually left the bridge up. I need to drop it so that I can, you know, let everyone go back upstairs. So I pulled the lever upstairs, which was linked to that bridge below, and then asked my chat, can this crush things or dwarves? And chat's just oh, like, no. yes, 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 it can. And I look, I go back to, you know, like down the levels to this area, and I've just managed to straight up smash an entire squad like 10 dwarves and so that's actually called oh. the um the like the dwarven atomizer because it's yep. yeah <laughs> it just <laughs> literally destroys things out of existence in the game and from my understanding it's one of the only ways to get rid of some things in the game it's just to smash right. it under the bridge and oh, so no. i had these like legendary fighters who before that battle with the, the forgotten beasts were were um untested in in battle and so they go they do excellent excellently and they come back and you know they're ready to reap the rewards and and be heroes and then they all just got smashed out of existence and so my chat was very entertained by this <laughs> and they still poke fun at me they tested combat but not the doors yeah and bridges and bridges <laughs> Well, wow, that is really unfortunate. <laughs> it really tragic. is. Like you, you want to laugh, but you also feel horrible for for both Ujess um, and the poor little dwarves who who were just they just wanted a drink. They just wanted to come back <laughs> in for a drink, and they got turned to drink. But I think less than that. <laughs> yeah. True. True. But. With with Dwarf Fortress, you know, I know you've been talking a lot about just how hyper-focused it makes you, how how deep you've gotten into it. I've even, you know, jumped on the computer and seen you were still streaming, um, which is <laughs> something that I, I, I don't always get to see you streaming. So it was really interesting to see when you were, and because you were deep in Dwarf Fortress. What about it do you think that, that drives that? And what what's... What do you th think, why, why does that game give you that versus anything else that's out there at the moment? Hard question to answer. <laughs> <laughs> you can't see me, but I just took a very deep inhale, just like, okay. Yep. <laughs> let's, let's try let's, to put this into words. Let's analyze <laughs> this. I, I've tried very hard to summarize this for a month now, and I don't know how I still don't really have words for it. But there's just something about the game that is 
it just drives my imagination. And it's in ways that a game like my most streamed game is RimWorld, and it's 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 in ways that something like RimWorld can't can't do for me because the world kind of is like never ending, and it's also my favorite setting for a game like medieval high fantasy. It's my absolute favorite setting for games, and actually just most most things in general whether it be books or movies i just i love fantasy and so i also really enjoy games where you dig and i don't know why this is but like i, I just really enjoy it <laughs> it's just yeah. i'm so so like happy to just be able to like take a shovel and and dig holes so like in minecraft it's fun and just like every other sandboxy game most of them tend to be like first person though, so it's it's nice to have a game that is is not. I mean, there's some examples like Core Keeper and whatnot where you dig Dome Keeper, Keeper games. But between yep. that, like just being able to to dig and just explore, and you never know what's coming next, and the mechanics for building are just so robust that you can you can really do all kinds of stuff and i'm having a lot of fun sort of challenging the limits with the game so like yep. right now i'm trying to build a grand hall like something you would think like moria for instance like the mines of moria i'm making right. a six z layer hall and like literally digging out every single layer of the floor and like smoothing the walls and it's a huge project but at the end of it it's, it's just going to be like this massive open cavern i forget what question you asked me actually <laughs> you've you, oh, you've answered it incredibly well because you know you you, you almost have you, you said something that really rang with me as well the comparing it to RimWorld so many people so many people are like what is it like versus RimWorld and RimWorld you are very much a part of the story right you are the one making most of the decisions you are the one telling people where to go what to do and all of that I think that's something that I like with Dwarf Fortress is that you are sort of removed from that. You're you're watching a story unfold rather than making the story. And there's some great interactions within RimWorld and some great stories. But again, they usually come from the moments where you don't have control. Um, case in point, the, the orbital beam target I mentioned before. <laughs> <laughs> and and various things like that. The the moments where the control is taken from you tend to be where the really good stories in RimWorld lie. And because of the amount of control that's taken from you in the day-to-day -day of the dwarves in Dwarf Fortress means that these stories are constantly happening. One of the biggest struggles I had was, like, the hurdles was trying to learn how to identify, how to navigate and read these stories how to translate them um and i think that's kind of where it all came from for me i think that's an interesting point and i i definitely agree with you I, although i would say that at least for me part of my enjoyment of games comes from being kind of not so much as not having control over a situation but kind of being forced to react in response to something. 
And that does does mean in some circumstances not having control over something or maybe just a sequence of events that, you know, kind of push you outside of what would be an optimal play style or, you know, a, a, a casual or regular session. It's something that happens that then becomes more memorable. But then within that, having the personal agency to respond to that and kind of get through it. And those to me are the moments that are most impactful because it's like, okay, sure, I have blown up half of my base with an orbital beam targeter, but, you know, we've managed to get through this. We've rebuilt that wider narrative where you've played a role within that world is what personally sticks with me. But Dwarf Fortress has less of those moments, but you're right. It, it's more looking like from an outside perspective a lot of the time. Sure, you have a lot of influence on what happens in the in the game world, but in a lot of respects, I kind of view playing Dwarf Fortress as almost like watching a movie or reading a book in a lot of senses because you just kind of, you're along for the ride. And yeah. there is definitely something that is very fun and appealing about that perspective. Yeah. No, for sure. I, th- I think that's right. There's there's moments in which you can create the story and you can play a part in the story in RimWorld. And then there's moments where you just have to stand back and watch the chaos happen. Or you've just noticed something and you need to unfold the events. And Dwarf Fortress goes hard on the latter. Um, and then there's occasional events where it goes on the former, such as someone using an atomizer to atomize their newly um, blooded... Uh, combat squad, hey Jess. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been playing a couple of games and recently that are a little bit less less uh like that, I guess to say. Um, I've been playing against the storm. I tried that out. I actually had someone from from my chat buy it for me, and they said try it out, and I was I was like. Look, I'd seen it before. I think I'd even talked about it before on here. And I was like, okay. And I thought, I'll try it out because it's it's been been bought for me, you know. I have to say, I have had that game. That game's been on my mind since. It is so beautiful in its atmosphere. And I think that's probably what's going to stick with me about the game. It It's just a colony builder with roguelike elements and stuff. But it has this beautiful, intense storm atmosphere. And like obviously against the storm, but it was just this moment of looking at this and there was all this color and there was this real beautiful ambiance on the game. And there's, there's no interaction, you know, there's no moment where this did that or this that's really stuck with me. But I I remember just watching it and staring at the screen, just thinking this is a real beautiful thing. It could also be like, you know, in further analysis, it could also be that I also sleep to like rain sounds so watching this was just putting me in a total zen moment um but it was just one of those one of those funny moments in a game where you're just like really at peace playing a game and i get that in dwarf fortress too just those moments of you're just playing through and you're like this is just really really nice you know, I just want to sit back and I want to watch what's happening. I want to absorb it all. You know, watch the little dwarves running around doing their thing. Uh, particularly, I I just completed my 19-story pyramid. 
uh, which is a very, very dwarfy thing to do, I imagine, building pyramids on the ground level. I was building a smaller one on my previous fort, but then we, we all got eaten. And so when we started the new fort, chat was like, nah, this one has to be bigger. All the way to the skybox. So we counted and it was 19 stories to the, to like, I think it's level 62 or whatever the skybox is. So I was like, okay, we'll do it to there. And we planned it out. And I was like trying to work out how to get enough bricks for it. Cause it was going to cost like 2,800 bricks for the walls and ramps alone. And, you know, trying to find bricks that would look like a nice color and, <laughs> and all of that. But once I had it, and once I could start like telling them to put it together and watching that grow, it was just such a beautiful moment of watching them, all the dwarves scurry out and sort of build it. And, you know, we went layer by layer over two streams, but it was just so much fun to watch happen. And now that I've done it, I actually have started experimenting like you with multiple Z-level halls. I now have indoor pyramids for tombs. And my intention is once my mare dies, they're going to be buried in that tomb. The tomb is going to be sealed and flooded. And we're going to have like underwater temples. That's awesome. Wow. The imagination does fly with that as well. Um, I have killed a few dwarves with uh, dropping some Z level, like dropping some cavern layers on top of each other, which was rather unfortunate. The poor little guys down on level six didn't know what was happening five stories above them and I didn't realize that if you drop the floor it has a chance of breaking through the next floor and so I was like oh yeah I'll just work from the top down I'll just I'll just mine out the um the outsides and then the middle will drop did that the middle dropped hit the next layer which caused it to break and it just broke through every layer until the poor dwarves who were smoothing on the uh very bottom layer it got very smooth uh, as as five stories of floors landed on them. It hasn't happened to me yet. <laughs> be be careful of it then. Be careful of it. Oh, I've I've been warned. <laughs> <laughs> I I knew about the trees. I did not know about the the floors. But in hindsight, I probably should have. Yeah, from my understanding, it's it's when you mine out the the core of a of a level and leave just the floor and the ceiling yeah that's that's when that will fall through yeah if and i think it's if you remove the floor as well like if there's no floor beneath it and such yeah it is it is very um finicky and i have spent so much time with the the wiki open as well <laughs> the wiki Basically, is so good when i when i start the stream i've got the wiki Wiki on one screen, chat on the other, and the game on the main one. Because, yeah, there is so much that you just stop to wiki and, and check out and read out. Because, you know, chat seems to like it when people are, when, when, when we're learning as well. Absolutely. Drongo, you've got uh, Fallout 3 on your list as well. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Which is uh, another cutting edge cutting edge game you you may not have heard of it it's no it uh, is it is an indie gem i've heard yeah no i i recently kind of went down a bit of a, a rabbit hole of watching documentaries youtube documentaries about uh, both 
Elder Scrolls and Fallout lore and talking about it. So I've watched a, you know, I think it was a two hour documentary on Daggerfall the other day because I've never played that and I was kind of interested. And then I ended up watching a, I think it was like an hour and a half documentary about Fallout 3 and all the different narratives and stuff. And the idea of the documentary was kind of talking about why it's actually better than a lot of people think it is. Because Fallout 3 gets a lot of flack, I think, within the kind of the Fallout community I found. And it was always, to me, I think, my favorite game anyway. So it was nice to have my opinion reaffirmed by somebody else that I think Fallout 3 is actually one of the the better Fallout games. Yep. Um, or at least has a lot of redeeming features, if nothing else. And so every probably, I would say every 12 months at least, I end up with a kind of a craving to get stuck into a Fallout game. And so I've, I've recently picked up Fallout 3 again and I, I plan on playing a little bit of it on stream, I think at some, to- uh, some point in the near future. But it's it's just a, a wonderful game and a wonderful universe, and the the story and the narratives are are all really interesting. And yeah, I'm I'm relishing going down and experiencing some of that nostalgia as well. Ah, uh, look, Fallout is a game that's very close to my heart because. I love games with, with more lore than game, really. There's subreddits dedicated to the entirety of, like, the Fallout lore. And they ask really specific questions and people, like, actually answer it and, and all of this. So I've always loved Fallout. And Fallout 3 is fantastic. It, 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 it's got its parts where it shows its age or, you know, silly bits. But there's always, like... Real good moments in it. And of course, the stories around the creation of it are great as well. Like uh, the train, you, you know, the uh, the old one about the train. The old one about the train. Okay, okay. Maybe I should give more context here. <laughs> yeah, yes, you're going to need to be a little bit more specific. There's a part in Fallout 3 where you're on board a train. I think it's in one of the DLCs. And oh. so you're you've got to go through the train, but... The, the Fallout 3 engine didn't have anything for vehicles and moving stuff like that. So it's actually the train is a hat. Oh, it's a hat. Yeah. On, yeah, on, a, on a character that. model that's running along. Yeah. So <laughs> that's how they get that view. They basically shrink the camera inside a hat on someone's head and have that, that, that body run through. And yeah. it's just so many moments like that. Like um, Bethesda had a real history of being like super scrappy like that and the things that it could achieve with the limited uh limited opportunities like um what's the other one that reminds me of that during uh, i think it was morrowind Mm -hmm. some loading screens were really long and what it actually was was once it hit a memory limit it would actually put up the loading screen, reboot the Xbox in the background. Like this is this was on Xbox, so it would reboot the Xbox in the background and then load again. And it's just like so many cool little technical things that you find out about it. And Fallout 3 is is exactly another one of those moments. Like, you know, the baby when you when you're the baby at the start, it's actually just a very shrunk down uh player character model Mm -hmm. 
and and I, I I just love those things. And I like on top of how awesome Fallout the world is and how cool Fallout Three is, I love the technical side of it as well. Yeah, I mean, I I'm not I I don't personally uh, find myself as interested in the, in the technical aspect. Although there are definitely aspects of it that are interesting or amusing but I, I just find those games are very very lore rich and i kind of naturally gravitate towards games that have pretty in-depth lore and one of the things that i really enjoy about bethesda games is i think they have some of the best um environmental storytelling of a lot of games and I think that's especially important in kind of open world-esque RPG games like, you know, Elder Scrolls or uh, Fallout. You need to have a connection with your environment that makes it feel lived in and it needs to have something to kind of ground it in some sense of realism and that you're not just experiencing a theme park and i think that is something that generally bethesda does very very well and yep. i always relish those experiences yeah no for sure the exact same for me um that i think that's why i gravitate towards all of uh bethesda's stories and games i must admit though i have never finished skyrim neither have i I just get distracted to the point of not being able to finish the main story. I have, however, finished all of the Fallout games, including all of the story of Fallout 76. Wow, that's <laughs> impressive. I, I put a few hundred hours into Skyrim, completed all the side quests that were available to me, and then my save file bricked. Oh, and no. I was not, not able to finish the main quest. It was the part where you have to go to... Uh, like the dinner or something, and like one of the NPCs just wouldn't do the thing they were supposed to do to oh, advance no. the story, and like there was no fix for it. And I just I was so distraught. I never played it again. Like I haven't oh, touched no. Skyrim since. <laughs> That's tragic. my one of my favorite things about like going back to wikis and such as well. The Elder Scrolls wikis, especially ones for like Skyrim literally has the commands to skip parts of the quest if they bug out like it, it <laughs> while, while we do talk about bethesda i think the the general sandboxiness and the modability of the game does lead to the occasional uh soft block or bug and i really like that the wiki is just like yeah if you encounter this here's the code to put in to advance to the next the next step because it's all designed to be moddable which is another assigned thing for them. Are you playing Fallout 3 vanilla or modded, Grongo? Uh, this is something I was a little bit toying around with because I, I wanted, I was thinking that if I do play it on stream that I would probably like to play it maybe as a mod, but then I wasn't entirely sure. Like I, I kind of thought about it for a little while and then I got a little bit overwhelmed at the idea and all of the potential possibilities for it. So then yep. I was like, oh, that's a problem for future Drongo. So in short, I don't know, but I do think it is a good game and a fine game as vanilla, but I do know there's also some really good mods for it as well. So I am tempted yep. by the idea. The, the mods I tend to gravitate towards for any Bethesda game, but Fallout 3 as well, 
the ones that just um visually update the world if that makes sense um remove some of the i think fallout has a bit of a green glow to the um to the world can't yeah. remember off the top of my head yeah but i mean but, like um, i like that in the fallout 3 i know a lot of people are really critical about the kind of the the filter about it but i really like it i think it gives it that that properly like kind of washed out really kind of post-apocalyptic feel about the game and i i, I actually really like it exactly yeah, I, <laughs> I don't actually like i'm i'm on the other side other side of the fence with that one i've played fallout 3 and I believe I finished it, but it was hard for me to do so. One, I found it really hard. Like, maybe I was just playing wrong, but, like, I never had ammo. <laughs> and, like, I just kept getting wrecked everywhere I went. And then the game is just ugly. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, it does do a super good job with environmental storytelling. Like, it nails it. But, like, it makes me depressed playing it because it's it's so depressing like the environment it's just ugly and sad and like all the creatures in the game are ugly and sad <laughs> so it, I think it just... definitely has a, a bleak perspective that i kind of relish but i understand that it's not for everybody i'm yeah. not i'm not huge in like sci-fi and not really big into post-apocalyptic stuff which is why i was saying like fantasy is my favorite <laughs> One of my favorite memes of Fallout is um, what someone tweeted a while ago. You know, the second I see any nuclear bombs go off, I'm running to the bathroom in order to be in a, a, an environmental storytelling skeleton. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's an absolutely beautiful game, and I'm so glad to hear that you're you're playing through it again. You know, you know what you mentioned earlier, like a level in Halo that like gave you the creeps and when you were talking about that it made me actually think back to fallout 3 to the, there's the point where you have to go through the metro like the washington dc metro mm-hmm. yep. and like come out on the other side and like your your description of halo just took me right back to that and <laughs> i remember being like this is the worst this is the worst i hate this so much can we just like skip this whole part <laughs> there is definitely that that is a particularly kind of creepy section i do vividly remember playing that the first time and kind of working your way through those areas and out of the gloom in the in the subway sections coming across super mutants and stuff like that and just being like oh god this is so stressful but i think part of it that i really enjoy is that fallout 3 for me personally struck a really good balance between being genuinely pretty difficult at normal difficulty and always kind of forcing you to be really cognizant about what you're doing and how you're doing it in particular you know you you mentioned like you it always felt like you never quite had enough ammunition and i think that's a really difficult balance to get exactly right but i like that in games where i have to be like purposeful and cognizant of how I'm using my ammunition rather than just, you know, just going buck wild and shooting up the yeah. place like Swiss cheese. Yeah, to be fair, the last time I played this game was probably 10 years ago, and I think my my skills 
as a gamer have probably improved drastically and i think i could mm -hmm. do a much better job now but like i was playing it on console and just being like a, a like a console noob you know and just i just never so the problem i would run into is that i would run out of ammo switch weapons run out of ammo switch weapons until like i had nothing left in my inventory mm. and like i i would have to blow everything i had on one fight and then i had to be like a ninja for like two hours until i had more ammo and it, oh, that yeah. was that, that to me was a lot but i think uh, i i suspect maybe uh the the big thing that you were maybe missing out on was utilizing vats if you're playing on console because i can imagine the shooting mechanics in fallout 3 do not translate well as a freeform like first person shooter or third person shooter to i remember using the vats but like mm. yeah maybe like it's it's one of those games where i'd have to go back and play again to like really evaluate yeah the difficulty because like i said it was 10 years ago i think i could yeah, do a better job totally now fair. yeah all right, so I think we're going to take a quick little uh, break, and then we're going to jump back into something else that has a, quite a bit of lore. I think we're going to talk about the uh, TTRPG scene, what Wizards has been doing to try and um, unify it, if against itself, back after this. Hey, Pelanar here. I'm not in this week's episode, as I'm uh, knee-deeper in cast dwarfs and all kinds of weirdness uh, in my fortress. And also I think there might be a forgotten beast uh, knocking at my basement hatcher. So hopefully next week or some other weeks I will be around. Uh, but this time not so sadly. And uh, if you want to see more of me or hear more of me, you can uh, check me out on twitch.tv slash where I do uh, all kinds of uh, building management strategy games. Lots of Dwarf Fortress currently as the uh, rest of the team as well pretty much. Uh, and uh, enjoy the rest of the podcast. And we are back with the Halcyon Frequency Podcast, episode 52. I've got World Jess and Bloody Drongo with me today. And we're going to be talking about something that's been causing quite the stir in the uh, TTRPG scene uh, the start of this month. And that is Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons new open game license, open gaming license it is. Basically a document that gave the rules in which people could use various parts of the D&D franchise and build from and create their own content from. Um, things made under that, under that license could be used to be monetized, could be shared via streaming D&D things, uh, podcasts, all of that. And they have released, well, a leak of the updated version came out, which included some very unsatisfactory changes. First of all, it rendered the entire previous OGL obsolete. Anything made under that would no longer count under that. Uh, it included royalties that needed to be paid if anything made over uh, $750,000. And it also allowed op um, wizards to use any content that was created using that license they could take it, modify it, or just Im 
imported whole into their own games and owed little for it. So it was incredibly controversial. And uh, this has been floating around many TTRPG scenes. I've seen it in my own in my own community. I've talked about it with my own friends who I play role playing games with, and all over Twitter as well. It's been incredibly controversial uh, in how it's it was covered, and it did lead to quite a lot of backlash from both players and also other companies. With Paizo which is the role-playing game uh, company that launched Pathfinder, announcing their new open RPG license um, called Orc, uh, which I thought was incredibly amusing. They've also aligned with Kobold, uh, Kobold Press and a couple of others that have led to quite a large group forming around it. Which of course brings us to today and D&D Beyond uh, has made a post, which is where wizards post their content. They have posted that they're listening to feedback, making changes and rolling back several of the more controversial ones under a lot of legal gobbledygook and, and corporate speak. Um, they will not contain any royalty and they will also not include the right to use any content without anything, um, which were two of the biggest, biggest changes, but Drongo, you've been TTRP adjacent for a while. You've, you've sort of done that. What do you think about this? Because it just looks like a lot of legal corporate speak to me yeah i was particularly unimpressed with the uh update to the ogl that they released i think as of recording it was like nine hours ago so this is still pretty fresh this is something i an update that i've woken up to which is fair yeah, enough same. i mean like the the main thing in, in there is that they they kind of hand wave away a lot of the kind of overreach some of the leaks had suggested that a lot of the new OGL was driven by, quote, uh, the under-monetization of D&D, um, as identified by Wizards of the Coast. And that's always like a, you know, a big warning flag. When a company is, starts saying, we're under-monetized, that means they're going to be pushing to try and bleed their customer base for every little bit that they can. Uh, but they've walked back that uh, a fair bit with this response and they've instead gone at it from the perspective of saying oh no we're not trying to you know we're not trying to overreach here we're just trying to be you know we're concerned about the well-being of the community and we want to be able to you know not have web3 or blockchain game blockchain games and nfts and you know content that is not in line with our values we want to be able to take that away from being uh, our, our uh, ip from being used in that in the in those situations which is fair enough but that also ignores the the wider thing in that the motivations for a lot of the new ogl were p purely financial which in of itself isn't necessarily a 
a bad thing because you know all all companies you know exist to make money right and you know in yep. entire entire fairness D deserves to make money but the TTRPG community is one that I think exists on a lot of goodwill. And you see that all the time within the, uh, in the sphere of all of the individual, you know, projects and stuff like that, that get backed and supported, uh, whether that's, you know, miniatures or, you know, little campaign modules or whatever it may be. And that also applies to actually the D and uh, and beyond stuff themselves the, the player base is happy to support it financially and and spend money on this hobby yep. but the really big difference is and the the really big point of difference is D as a product when you're talking about trying to monetize it is that D isn't the only tabletop system out there and a lot of people would argue that it's far from being the best one it's just the biggest and the most well-established one. And that's uh, why you see other systems seeing the blood in the water and immediately responding and reacting to that because it, to them, that's like opportunity. You know, the, the, big, yeah. the big fish in the pond is, is bleeding and uh, there is moves to be made. And so Pathfinder, you know, responding is not a surprise to me. But I think that's also the the big thing is that D&D's kind of realized, oh, yeah, right, we are actually, you know, our point of difference is not the fact that we have the best game system or the best product. Our point of difference is that we have a really big and long established and committed community. And if we lose that, that's a big problem for us. So yeah, hopefully sure. this response is actually genuine and we see it end up with an OGL or an open gaming license that is in the best interest of the community and also in line with the values of the community. And if it's not, that might be the end for D&D. Honestly, like I could see it being the case where it really sinks away from being the popular go-to thing and something like Pathfinder becomes the 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 platform or the system of choice for producing you know their own campaigns which will be on social media which will become their own products in of themselves and that's how a lot yeah. of that kind of gets spread and and advertised is by having their own little campaign modules and stuff like that so yeah it's interesting but i i, I really hope that the <laughs> response here is at least somewhat genuine even if it is filled with you know, very corporate double speak, but I think the the shot across the bow from the community has been heard loud and clear. So, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, there's there's a couple of fun things that stick out to me. Like, you know, you're talking about um, Paizo seeing blood in the water and the opportunity to strike. Pathfinder came out because D and D Fourth Edition sucked so much. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's it happened was, before. It was such such a thing that Paizo exists because D&D keeps dropping the ball or Wizards keep dropping the ball. And the other thing is, is the major things that have led to D&D's popularity have not even been D&D works. No. Stranger Things, including Dungeons and Dragons. 
is not a D&D work. Uh, critical Role using the D&D system is not a D&D work. Mm-hmm. And th- those are two very big cultural things yeah. that have made D&D cool in the modern age. And it's so interesting to see them basically... They're almost like, wow, all of these new people are joining, therefore we need to to charge more. I this is gonna sound a little bit controversial and maybe a little bit short-sighted. I do understand the um monetization things that they've mentioned being under monetized. One like I, I've been rather blessed with my my um tabletop group in that our DM is the one that's purchased the books like he purchases all the books he's got the D beyond subscription but there's five of us and we don't need to pay a single thing for that you know and that's that's where you know wizards is probably looking going look there's six people playing here only one has had to purchase things how do we balance that and i i don't agree with any of the decisions in this i don't agree with the the taking that 25 percent royalty fee um, that, that doesn't constitute a proper negotiated licensing agreement. And yeah, that, that's just, that's just, oh, I'm going to take part of what you make. Um, at that level, there should be some quid pro quo back and forth, you know, something like that. But well, I think the important like a seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars sounds like a lot of money, but in the grand scheme of things, and especially when we're talking about the entertainment industry, that's really not that much money. And yeah, you're uh, at that stage, you're really cutting the legs out of any project that really wants to get off the ground. If it's if it's a bigger, higher end production, something that's aspiring to be at like a critical role sort of level. If they want to produce some kind of product around that and Wizards of the Coast or D&D's offering is, hey, you know, the 25% royalties or whatever, they're just going to go with something else that they can basically do exactly the same thing, but without having to pay the royalties. And I mean, I get the idea that, you know, there's an argument to be made about under monetization and... But I just, I don't think it's the right way to go about it. Not yeah, no, for sure. Could you also imagine doing a Kickstarter for some little thing that you'd put together? Your goal was 50,000 and it gets blown out of the water, goes absolutely viral and it tops over that 750,000. So suddenly you're in, you know, <laughs> at, at earning $740,000, um, your Kickstarter will be fine. It tops over to that 750,000 and instantly like 25% of what you've just made is just gone. You know, there, there is definitely, definitely a lot to be said for, okay, you might've, you might've understood it, but as they said in their own thing, they rolled a one, you know, absolutely fumbled it, absolutely messed it all up. Jess, what do you think? Well, so in the update, they state that they did they say they they never intended to take money from the players? It was just yeah. a thing that they were yeah. thinking about. And so who knows, right? Who knows if they just rolled that back for perspective like for the public perspective or if they actually meant to implement that. But I think the really interesting thing 
is Paizo's new license, the OpenRPG Creative License, the Oracle license. Yep. Which I I think I haven't seen an update from from Paizo, but they they did quote in their blog post that we have no interest whatsoever in Wizards' new OGL. Instead, we have a plan that we believe will irrevocably and unquestionably keep alive the spirit of the open game license. Yep. And so I I believe that they are moving forward with this regardless of what Wizards of the Coast does. Mm -hmm. And it is a license that's meant to be system agnostic, which from my understanding is it just it doesn't matter where you're playing or what you're doing, the license applies to you. The the biggest thing the biggest thing that wizards have is the names. That's pretty much it. Roll a dice and consult the table to see what happens. These weapons have these dice is agnostic. You know, you can't you can't say, oh, we are in the system that requires rolling a D20 to do, which is where I think we will see a lot of these things. And I think Pathfinder Paizo would be absolutely ridiculous to trust that this isn't just being okay we're going to roll this back and then quietly shift it forward you know um, oh and who's to say they won't try again they've exactly. lost the, commu the community's trust at this point yeah exactly and, and the other thing is is they can produce it under the orc license um and it can still be used in D D, right people homebrew stuff all the time the the only main thing will be the character names and you know, the anyone playing D and D can can take most Pathfinder things and just adapt them in. Whether it's stories, weapons, some of it might need some balancing, some of it might need some tweaking. But truth is, so much of it can just be flipped over. So making that orc license, going with that, getting all the third parties on that means they're completely free from any any hassles with with D, D as long as they adhere to that that license they're using and that content can still be aimed towards D, &D. they can, they might not be able to say it's for D, D, but they can absolutely say oh it's d20 you know d20 content and people will connect the dots so yeah no i think um i think wizards have fumbled majorly i think there there's a few things in their their post that kind of rankled me a fair bit um the statement of our plan was to always solicit the input of the community before this you know all that which is why the staff within the project felt the need to leak it to the community to get them to take action against it yeah it, it makes it very hard to believe that the contracts were already sent out as well you know, this was leaked because the contracts were being sent out. The contracts were attached to this. Mm. You don't write up a draft and include contracts with it. <laughs> well, I mean, there is definitely situations where you would do that. Um, whether that is early contract review or whether that is getting approval in like uh, principle or uh, in theory to the actual idea of the contract to the to the parties um yep just because a contract exists doesn't mean that it was 100 percent going forward but the fact that the staff within the project felt strongly enough about trying to 
get the community to be aware of this and care about this at risk of their own jobs and well-being is i think speaks mm. for the seriousness of how far they were willing to take this and i think it, it's very very hard for them to 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 make the argument that they were always planning to solicit input on the community sure you know that that may be true they would have maybe taken a bit of input but how seriously they would have taken that input and whether they would have been willing to act on that input is an entirely other question even if you do want to believe that being the best at case but i mean as well like the other thing as well is that that you both mentioned is like it's a bit of a slippery slope as well once you have a OGL that then requires royalties to be paid and applies retroactively and things like that. What's to say that, you know, if you give them an inch, they're not going to take a mile next time and suddenly they bring out a new yep. OGL that then requires royalties to be paid on anything over 100K or anything over 10K. And suddenly yep. uh, the, whole, the whole hobby is bled dry and it's, it's just something that in principle can't and should not happen because yeah as you pointed out D, D is the the names and the brand but the idea and the concept itself doesn't belong to them and the whole idea of them existing exists purely on the goodwill of the established user base and player base and without that they've got nothing yeah exactly. so what's what's really interesting about this like talking about um, like the goodwill of the community, um, Paizo is actually owned by owned by Lisa Stevens, and the president is Jim Butler. And both of those people were original members of the Wizards of the Coast mm -hmm. when D and D was conceived. On top of that, the law firm that Paizo uses was the one of the, uh, the one of the co-founders of this law firm was actually there who wrote the OGL. And so, like, Paizo is really, like, at the roots of this. Yeah, well, I did yep, not actually no, they... realize that about the law firm. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, neat. Yeah, so from what I'm, what I'm reading here, they're intending on having the orc license uh, fall into Azor Law's hands, sort of, as, as a stewardship to keep, keep the license safe so that it cannot be um, bought, sold, or change management in the future. And there can be no attempts to rescind rights or nullify sections of the license. Ultimately, we plan to find a nonprofit with a history of open source value to keep this license, such as Linux. That's great. Yeah, no, it, it absolutely is great to see. And you can 100% tell that it, it's almost like um, they, you know, when, when, you, when you're going along and you realize that, oh, yeah, we're relying on something that's suddenly pointed out that it's no longer reliable we're going to need to change that they did they did this as a as, as a big show of course they want people to play pathfinder they did it as a big show but they've also done it because they've realized it's on shaky ground anyways who's to say that you know um wizard of the coast don't just don't decide that hey pathfinder all of that content's using the open gaming license you know, we need to write them out. And then suddenly there might not be as big of a kickback because it's only Pathfinder related stuff. And so them separating themselves 
is incredibly, incredibly good for the community, good for them. And yeah, they're going to continue it and absolutely smash it out. I, I think there's nothing but good things to come from the Orc license. It sounds really promising. Yeah. No, and I'm, I'm, I'm super keen. You know, I've been talking with my friends. We, we play first party stuff, but who's, who's to say what'll happen? You know, um, everything sort of remains up in air. One of the benefits of playing in person is you can sort of jump between systems without having to, uh, abandon like D and D beyond and such. But with that, I think we'll wrap up this, uh, this episode and call it another episode. Well done. What do you all think? Sounds, Sounds good, good to, to me. me. Whoa. Jinx. Wow, <laughs> Jinx. Yep. Okay. So so Jess and Drongo can no longer talk anymore. Uh that is the rules of Jinx, if I recall. Drongo, where can we find you on the internet? Good. Jess, how about you? Tell you what, I'm gonna I'm gonna go here. Um you can find Drongo at Bloody Drongo on Twitch and the Bloody Drongo on Twitter. And Jess, I just need to find your underscores there uh, because you've got quite a few in different places. So you are Woa underscore Jess on Twitter and you are Woa underscore Jess on Twitch as well. So I will include those. <laughs> Thank you all for watching. Uh, I am Arch. You can find me at Arch Play Stuff on all various things on Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube. And until next time, don't change that dial. Bye for now. Oh, I was having such a hard time not talking. <laughs> is that is that the rule of the jinx? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. That is the rule of the jinx, yeah.